All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Hello, uh, Waffle Press listeners. I am Kel Smith. I do the Youth Critic Podcast for the KHC Network in uh, Georgia. And it's a show where, much like the Waffle Press, uh, I review current release films. I talk about what's going on in the movie, like, Stratosphere. And I also occasionally do retrospective episodes where I talk about old movies from the 80s and 90s. And occasionally from the 70s, you know, got to touch that golden era sometimes. Diego, thanks for having me on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank, thank you for coming on. And we have also done retrospective episodes together. Uh, thank you for letting me gush lyrically about Exorcist 3. I'll put a link down to that one below, too. Yes. Because uh, that one was a lot of fun. And The Exorcist 3 is a really good movie. Yeah. But you did not bring The Exorcist 3 to talk about today on Let's Talk About Movies. Uh, this is the show on the Waffle Press where I bring on a guest, one-on-one conversation about a movie. You guessed it. It's in the title, you idiots. Just kidding. I love you all. Uh, but on this show, it's not just about any movies that I want to talk about. I want guests to bring on movies that grab them by the shoulders and just enlighten them. I want, I want to talk to people about movies that give them just a reaction where they pull someone else aside and say, you have to watch this movie so you can understand what I just went through. So what movie did you bring for us to talk about, Kale? Well, Diego, I brought the flattest-looking movie on that's been brought up on the show yet, but it's still a great movie nonetheless. I brought Greg Berlanti's Love, Simon. Sometimes I feel like I'm always on the outside. There's this invisible line that I have to cross to really be a part of everything, and I just I can't ever cross it. Me too. My name's Simon. I'm just like you. Except I have one huge-ass secret. Hey! I like your your boots! I said I like your your boots! Goodbye! Nobody knows I'm gay. (sighs) I love Simon. The 2018 coming-of-age romantic comedy drama directed by Greg Berlanti who is basically a TV empire god, king, <laughs> at this point. Something like uh, that. Yeah, you know him from all this stuff and, like, the CW-verse and all that jazz. And uh, he, he, he's also directed a couple movies early on, uh, one with Josh Duhamel, who's also in this film, that I've never seen, but I've heard it's not very good. Um, he's also potentially working on the Booster Gold film with writer Zach Stenst. I don't know if that's still in play, but that's still on his credits, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, anything goes with DC nowadays, so we'll we'll see. Um, but why did you bring this movie to talk about? Uh, I brought this because this movie did more than grab me on the shoulder and enlighten me. It basically has become kind of my anthem uh, of movies and basically the movie that I've been the most proudest to talk about because a, I, uh, I am a, first of all, I am a, I am a gay person and I'm also a, and what, and I am also an autistic person as well, but this one more focuses on the LGBTQ side of things. And also the reason why this movie is so important to me because, on the day I saw it, so I got to see this movie like six weeks early before anyone else because for whatever reason in Atlanta, they had like promo screenings like like once a week, like two months before leading to the, you know, release. And 
So I was like, I, and after seeing the trailer, I was like, well, shut up, I want to see this movie. I want to see this, you know, whatever. I want to go see this as soon as possible. Like, this is so my jam. And even before, even as I like watched the teaser trailer for the movie and the speech or the little like monologue that Leah has in that little bit in the beginning of the tea, I think it's like in the teaser, that little bit just like cooked me hooked me just before I realized this was a coming out story. So I really was like, so like this was like most anticipated more than Avengers, more than solo, more than any movie that was coming out this year. Like this was my most anticipated movie of the year. And then I saw it. And actually the day I saw this movie, not to make bring sadness, but the day I saw this movie was when uh, I got a call driving to Atlanta to go watch it because you have to go to Atlanta to watch press screenings or promo screenings. I found out on the way down, my grandfather had died or lost his battle, a uh, seven-month battle of lung- of cancer. So already, like, on my way to see this movie, I'm emotional, but I'm holding it together. And then I see the movie, and I'm doing fine. I'm loving it. But then I get to... Uh, can we go into... S- this is a minor spoiler. No, no, that's fine. But let, let me also say that I'm I'm very sorry to hear that, Kale. Oh, thank, thank you, Diego. Um, but the but the moment we get to the dad scene in the movie, and everyone that watches the movie will know what I'm talking about, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later down. But the moment we get to that, that's like the moment where I just fucking let loose and just had like the uh, the ugliest cry I've ever had watching a movie. Like, cause it, everything just hit me like a, like a truck and it, and after the movie, which I really did love, I I had to just sit at the Regal Atlantic station theater lobby for like an hour just to collect my thoughts. Cause I mean, not only did a movie like represent me, not only did I feel represented, but also I felt like I had this emotional experience and it kind of, and that movie has ever since kind of spiraled into, you know, a more positive outlook, uh, outlook for me. And it's, it's, it's been like, it's led to a lot of really good things and it's kind of helped me, you know, come out to my family. It's helped me come out to, uh, my friends, including you, Diego. Um, and it's, it's been... Uh, a fascinating year since that movie has come out. No, thank thank you very much for sharing all that, Kale. I, I I was I didn't know all of that, so thank you very much. Yeah, the, and that's basically how Love Simon works. It's an emotional roller coaster, but every now and then there's little spurts of comedy. <laughs> um. Yes, uh, adapted by or adapted from the novel Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli? Al- Albertalli. Al- Alberto- Al- Albertalli or Albertalli? You, you had it right the first time. Albertalli. Okay, okay, okay. Just checking. Um, you also come with the knowledge of the book, but how, how it works on this show is we kind of talk about our first experience with it, which you covered succinctly and beautifully, so thank you again for that. Um, I, I, I feel like I shouldn't even follow it up because I, I come at this from like a obviously much less personal experience uh you 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 coming from like you just knocked that shit out of the park so i just you know a little clap for you because that was fantastic 
But uh, sorry to jump the gun. All, all, all I know, <laughs> no, no, please, that's what this is for. I want, I want to highlight the guests as much as the movies. I, um, I went in casually. I had heard it was a sweet little coming of age story, and uh, obviously the first uh, uh, gay romance coming of age film funded by a major studio, 20th Century Fox at the time. Uh, I, I think it still might be. It's only a year old, which is unfortunate. But hey, I have baby a, steps. I have an anecdote for that later. But okay, um, but I, I knew nothing other than Greg Berlanti had gotten the rights to to make this film, and then I checked it out, and it was such a sweet, charming, affirming life film. You know, like I, I really felt good coming away from this movie, and I didn't know Greg Berlanti had this in him. Obviously, with the television stuff and. His empire, we'll call it, because <laughs> he the Berlantiverse reigns like far and beyond the reaches of time and space. By this point, um, he's always casting uh, not just like generic white actors. There, well, there are a lot of CW looking actors, if you get my meaning, on his shows. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but his casts are far more diverse than like a lot of stuff on even like HBO and like like uh, high quality cable shows that get a lot of praise. He, it feels like Berlanti's doing a lot of the legwork, you know, not to dismiss other programs or anything like that, but he's, he's a very forward thinking uh, producer and, and filmmaker it turns out. So I, I was, uh, I was happy to see that Nick Robinson plays Simon in this. And my only prior knowledge of him was from Jurassic world. I'm so sorry. And <laughs> he's like such an asshole in that. And here he's like, this really won me over to him. This kind of feels like um, the same reaction I had to Kristen Stewart after Twilight. Although I was a dumb teenage boy, so like obviously I was an idiot when I was talking about like anything back then. But like I saw Adventureland the year after Twilight came out, and I was like, whoa, this is a, this is a really talented actress. And so when I saw Love Simon, I was like, whoa, this kid's really good. Like uh, we we don't we don't break down so much of the plot in this movie as much as we talk down like the 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 tech the technicals and the talk about some of the themes and whatnots. But I I really love the scene when he's coming out to his parents, just the way he like he kind of he's you can tell he's unsure not just by like him saying anything specific but just like the way he vocalizes his dialogue or like his body language how he's kind of, he can't he can't look up when he's talking about coming out and and I, I don't know how accurate that would be to your experience and I don't know if it's a, if it's okay for me to ask about that if not I could move on would it be okay if I asked you about that Kale That's first of all that's uh interesting you started with that in talking about the movie is that scene because to my experience uh I should point go this out here I have not come out to my father but that's its own that's its own thread of holy shitness that we will not get into for this show because then I'll really make okay. everyone depressed. It, it, no, again, uh, no, no, no pressure. But in order to kind of compare and contrast, it is it's it's very similar to that where you got to just kind of do it, and it is a little hard. And I mean, Simon parents are a little bit more accepting which i'll get into like why that might may or may not be a problem for a movie to do that they're a little bit more accepting than normal parents i even for my mother 
But I'll say this. A good portion of my family know, and they're okay with it. And especially uh, my sister, who who has been a massive like rock and just totally you know it's been totally great um in in that so but going back to that scene um it's great because you feel the isolation that you know that Simon has which is so true to the gay experience because every and I can't stress this enough every story of this of people on the spectrum is very different like I, like coming out is truly ter- like everyone is truly terrified of coming out in their own way and I think you know I think that's why it's a little elitist to kind of it's a little too elitist to you know to critique Simon's coming out in any way I think it's or anyone's coming out but to say this um, but to get back to that scene I love how it is shot because it is an isolating feeling like you have to do it there's no one that can help you it's 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 basically that motif in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban where you just see Harry Potter alone in a bunch of shots of that movie and it's basically that's like that's the struggle of every like gay teenager and every like closeted person is that this is their own journey and the, and this is something they have to conquer and that's part of the universality the message of love simon is that everybody has to grow up everyone has to change in some way um simon's change is more direct than others but everyone's going to change everyone's going through a change and it's scary and it's scary to come out and be this you know and be in fear what it's like on the other side to be different and i feel like that so to wrap up what i'm saying it I, that scene captures that coming out very well. Sometimes I feel like I'm stuck on a Ferris wheel. One minute I'm on top of the world, then the next I'm at rock bottom. Uh, I also really love uh, Josh Duhamel in this. He's maybe not known as like one of the greatest actors in the world, but... Um, here you have like someone who even kind of looks like a stereotypical like jock from like a John Hughes movie or something like that, and you know this is his dad. This is like macho man, like stereotypical masculinity. Like yeah, bro, like chicks, bro. Like oh, you got someone pregnant, and it's like <laughs> you're pregnant, and yeah, and he just like you can tell he he doesn't like disregard Simon when he comes out or anything like that, but. I, the, even the way he plays it, I, I, his his acting, his performance with the dialogue, I think it's a really great match when he's trying to just, like, like all he knows is, like, how to be, like, a, a jokester, bro. Like, he, he never expected, like, he, he was so close-minded, you know? Like, he wasn't, and he eventually apologized to Simon, like, for saying, like, you know, he made those stupid jokes. Like, he didn't, he didn't think, you know, just, it, it wasn't the way he was raised to be open-minded like that. And like the movie never says this, but this is obviously like a common thing in the world when, when guys are, are raised in certain ways, like they're not going to be open to those other, like, like other people's personalities and like sexual orientations. You know, if it's not like, if it's not raised with them 
every step of the way or like they never have their eyes open to it you know and it's 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 unfortunate and i just i, I think that's so beautiful how he, he's um eventually like when he's apologizing and like he just he just feels so bad and he, he loves his son so much and uh, also jennifer garner in this who uh, i've seen memes and tweets about her as like being like this is the same character from juno just in a, this is her sequel Juno, <laughs> you know and because she was such a good like person in that movie and she's such a great mom in this too that it's like oh it's gotta be like that's the only explanation i i that's i don't have a lot to say about about her i don't know if you do but I, she's really good in this too i just uh i was more taken by how josh duhamel's character was like um when he when he walks away, which is a mistake on the character's part, obviously. Like that's like, come on, man, that's a fucked up thing to do. And the next time we see him, he obviously apologizes. But like, I was very taken by that because that 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 could have just become a really cynical turn, you know. And that that may be a little exploitative, Ex- exploit exploitative exploitative. I'm having trouble with words on my podcast lately, so I apologize. <laughs> It's okay, Diego. We forgive you. Anyway, Thank you. Well, to go to Josh Jamel, I'll get to Jen Garner in just a second. Um, the reason why his walking out is so great is because it's natural to how a lot of Gen X, Gen X men and basically men before the millennials, that's how a lot of them are brought up is they don't, they, they only know how to comprehend and even grieve with humor like that's the only and that's part of like him walking out is him grieving the death essentially the death of his uh hetero the heteronormative of his family now because now his family even though in the film their parents are dim they're democrats are in liberals there it's still like it's i can't stress enough like it it for josh for a character like josh jamel's character uh it feels so much like, you know, like now there's this big change and now there's, I don't know how to comprehend it because now I have to take my guard down. I have to take my guard down, which is, which, yeah, which is a lot harder for older men, especially uh, men in Georgia or men in Southern states to get around this, you know, to get around the fact that, okay, I need to let my guard down sometimes. And and be able and be able to grieve properly, um, or even or even not even grieve, but be more accepting and more open. So that's how I would. So that's how I look at at it. And then you know, Jen Garner. I mean, though, what she says right after he comes out, like, you know, it, it's so that's great. Like that's perfect. And you know, and even she's like, you know. Like she's still trying to figure out the words to say because she's because she's even like take because she's you know she's taken aback but she's not gonna leave his side like his father has. So I have a story about Jen Garner of this movie that's very important to the Love Simon. So uh, Jen Garner did not want to sign on to do this movie unless there was a scene where she could, you know, have that moment where she can that motherly moment 
you know, where she could tell Simon it's okay. It's a firm, it's okay to be gay. You get to exhale. Because in the original script did not have that. Oh. Yeah. Well, the book doesn't really have it either. We'll get to the book versus movie in a little bit. But to get to Jen Garner, she did not want to do the movie unless it had that because she felt like that was the most important thing for her for her character to do is to be the reaffirming mother. So I have to give Jen Garner some points for being like, Thank you for giving a really good note. Because now that scene is like everywhere on YouTube and it's like inspiration to so many uh, queer and trans and it's so inspirational to young teens out there. I, I can't stress enough how important the waiting you get to exhale now line is to people that are in the closet or thinking about coming out. I cannot tell, I can't stress how important that is. I didn't know that. So she absolutely rules. Jennifer Garner's the shit is what she is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that scene is, it's, I don't, I don't know if I'd say it's like the scene of the movie. Cause this, this movie is actually, you know, I, I don't it's think got I a bunch clear. of those. I, I, it's got a bunch of those, but like, you know, I, I could see someone not like being head over heels with it, but I don't, see anybody walking away forgetting about it anytime soon you know and uh i think that that's a big testament to all the the actors in the movie and uh the relationships between the characters too like even with simon and his friends like, everyone feels like they have an authentic relationship maybe except one but i'll, I'll hold off that because it's, it's kind of my like my one kind of negative uh about it and i it's I'll hold off on it because I, I really do like this movie, and I actually double featured it with Blockers last year. Oh god! I was catching up on my on my movies, and it was just a great little feel good night. I was was what was it? It was like after Fourth of July or was on Fourth of July. I forget, but it was just a delightful afternoon to myself, and I felt like I was on cloud nine. I was like, man, movies are nice. <laughs> so. Blockers also made me cry. Not not like ugly cry like Love Simon did, but. I I all but you know what scene I'm probably I probably cried at the most. Do you probably can guess yeah. it? Uh, yeah. Blockers is is fucking great in, in the American comedy wasteland. This is like the Godfather of American studio comedies. Like it's it's really good. Yeah. Shout out to Gay K Cannon. Um, thank that. Thank you so much. Like it. it thank you, and your your movie was really good. But let's kind of get into it. Like, so that is for me, like the key important part of the movie is the relationship with the friends and how that all kind of comes together. Because I feel like a, that's, that is the a plot. Like everything in the movie revolves around that. And also I love movies. I don't know if you knew this about me, Diego, but I love like movies where the supporting characters get their own arcs and their own like character, like subplots that in, I like movies where every character kind of gets something to do. Yeah, yeah. And th this one uh, does that in spades. I treasure it because it gives everyone, like, a, a natural, authentic, like, reaction to the situation and doesn't, like, over-explode. Like, when Simon come out... When, his, when Simon's friends realize he's gay, the reason why they're mad at him is not because he's gay. It's because of everything he did to keep his secret closeted and how that all happened. Like it's a natural reaction because, and I get it for some people that's like his friends are assholes for like just abandoning him in his moment of need. But I, 
Simon, but Simon really fucked up. <laughs> like, the, I mean, he he did pawn off um, one of his friends to an just an absolute asshole of a character. So, I mean, it was for good reason, but still, that's that's kind of a a thing that's not that shouldn't be easily like glossed over. Yeah, that's. I'll just bring it up now. That's kind of the one criticism I have of it, where when they find out, even that he was being blackmailed by by that dick bag, who does admittedly even uh, try to like, he he's not redeemed, but he does apologize to Simon by by giving him that last chance to find Blue on the Ferris wheel, and I thought that was very sweet. It's. It's going to sound weird, like a weird pool, but it's like Darth Vader. He's not redeemed, but in the end does the right thing. I think that's that's also even not nearly as important as the rest of the film's messages, but I think that that's a good one too, you know. Um, but I think when his friends find out about him being blackmailed, you know, and like having like manipulate their friendships, they're, they're right to be upset and angry. I do think it is a little cold that they they leave him out in the cold, you know, like. The boy's going through some things. And yeah. I don't know. Like, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you how I would react to that. But I don't have to because this is a movie. So maybe maybe that's unfair for me to criticize the movie on that term. But like, I'm just thinking about like poor Simon, you know? Because like, he does fuck up. And I'm all for characters learning from mistakes. Because uh, God forbid you end up like with the fifth entry in a franchise where characters just stop growing. But like... um. I don't know. It felt like everyone could have understood that, but I also kind of get the the need to kind of have some uh, some narrative thrust and like uh, you know the low point of the protagonist, so to speak. So I, I I get it. I just didn't. I don't know if that was the only way it could have played out. I guess is my point. I, I and I completely understand. I completely understand from everyone because a lot of people have criticized that moment, and it is a very much a screenwriting device to do that. However, I don't know. I, I, I'm just glad. I don't know something about it. Like, I'm glad it's not just that he's gay. It's something that Simon really did something messed up. I mean, no, yeah, you no, you're totally right. He fucks up so bad in this. Yeah. Um, but it's like. Because the, the dude who bullies him into to, uh, like blackmailing him to like uh, to set him up with his friend that he's attracted to, uh, you know, crazy dickhole. And um, it's a crazy dick move that, that Simon participates in. But it's also like, you know, when he, he's dealing with already so much and like to have that like that choice taken away from him, which it eventually also is. It's like it really feels like it, it's the cards are stacked against him. In my, in my opinion, and I just, I just felt so bad, and I felt maybe that the movie's trying to make me feel a little too bad. Like, not that I, I wouldn't, but just that, like, it didn't need to go that far in that direction. I'm, I'm even okay, well, I mean, not okay, but, like, in terms of, like, the screenwriting decision and, like, the story decision to have the dude out Simon, like, that's fucked up. That's beyond fucked up. It's fucked up, but that one I get. Because that the dude who was blackmailing Simon was a dickhole, who does do the right thing in, by the end, but it's you know it's too late and it's like yeah thanks dude finally but thanks I guess but you know like his friends are not dickholes, they were manipulated, yeah and I get them being upset, I just 
Yeah. yeah, and they eventually get over it. Like, that's the thing I have to, we should probably point out as they do get over it. So it, it's not like now Simon has to go find new friends. Um, but, I and yeah, I get it. Um, but, but the reason, and that's kind of why I like it, is everyone gets their own, like, thing and it all ties into the plot. I mean, I... I love Leah's story in that, you know, she's a person that really was attracted to to Simon. And now, you know, that's not going to, and now that, you know, it's never going to happen. That relationship's never going to happen. And, you know, again, it's, that's a lot on a person and everyone is entitled. And I feel like the movie does a really good job of being like, you're in, everyone's entitled to their own feelings in the following scene in her very next scene, you know, her kind of, you know, accepting her listening into Simon and him talking about blue. I feel like that's such a great, like little sh- growth and maturity from her as a character. Is it, you know, yes, I'm not probably going to, I'm never going to be this, with this person, but I want to be friends with this person. I still, I, I want to be supportive. I want to, you know, help him go through this, you know, possible, like I, he's never going to find out who blue is at that point. Um, so I, 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 I like, I essentially, I like characters that grow and mature throughout a movie. I think you really hit the nail on the head too. I think that's the secret weapon of this movie. Maybe secret weapons, not even the right word, but like, that's kind of the, the real cornerstone we'll call it is that everyone's feelings are valid. And the movie acknowledges that everyone's feelings are valid, you know, like, Attraction and like caring about someone can be like a weird thing. It can be a stressful thing, uh, and it can be an unfortunate thing sometimes. And even though I, I'm not a hundred percent on board with the direction that that the the friends cutting him off for a little bit goes, the fact that the movie has them deal with it in a healthy way is is really impressive for a teen comedy or a teen teen dramedy. Whatever. It's, it's a wonderful movie. That's what it is. And how even the that, that dickweed who blackmails him even kind of learns a little empathy by, like, by giving Simon that one last shot at the end, you know? And and it's, it's almost like the movie taught him a lesson, too. You know, and he's, like, the most minor character in the film, which just goes to show, like, the extent of, like, the, the power the movie has. Uh, well, here's... My take on Martin Hederman as a character is that he, and I actually wrote a review on this movie. I should probably have mentioned this beforehand, but I actually did get a chance to write this for SoCal Thrills. Thanks. Oh, nice. Thanks, Patrick, for help helping me out with that or leading me to that review. What I mentioned in my review is that the movie's strongest thematic point, and this was after like I had first seen it, was basically Martin Hederman is basically the typical white privileged male who feels like entitled to to getting what he wants in that he feels like he needs to get Abby. He feels like and not only get Abby but get her to love him for who he is. Which you know is clearly like you know she's not into. She's clearly has you know stay, clearly has shown I'm not into you and now I'm ha- and now he's forcing you know and now he's forcing, you know, Simon to do this very awful thing in manipulating his friends. Uh, not just one friend, but all of his friends. 
to do this. Oh, yeah. So let, let me just say really quick that the movie acknowledges everyone's feelings are valid, except for Martin's. It understands that that what's happening with that character is a bad thing. <laughs> and it demonstrates that very clearly. It understands that Martin thinks he's in his own romantic comedy, but... Yeah, that's exactly it. But but you're right. Like, it doesn't... It's not... It doesn't validate, but it does... But it does, like, acknowledge that, you know... That this kid thinks, like, he is the shit and that he is the hero of his own story. But... Then he re- but then he has this painful recollection that, oh shit, no, I'm the asshole. I'm the asshole that, you know, that, you know, and, and you're right. Like, and I think it's good that the movie doesn't fully redeem him or validate him because I think that would do more damage than good. Uh, but I think the, but the character at the end, so... When he comes on to the Ferris wheel, when I first saw this movie and then he comes on the wheel and says I'm blue, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> I almost had a fu- I almost had a fucking heart attack cuz if the movie had gone that way, I I don't know how I would I don't I would have probably given it an F right there. That would be so like that would be horrifying to find out uh, that the person you loved is also the same person who fucked you over. Yeah, in in the book they don't go that way, right? Uh no, yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't, but they, but it is, okay, after this, I'll get to the book versus film. So, Mm -hmm. after, so in the book, it's hinted that Simon at one point thinks it's Martin, but then he has, like, a record, but then he has, like, a, like, he thinks that because of a situation that happened between him and Martin before, like, the play, by the way, the play is different in the book than the movie something happens between him and and he thinks it's him for like um for like a chapter or two but then he realizes oh no that's not it that that couldn't be it so yeah i i think how they handled it is very well and i think it's even a great deconstruction of the nice guy that you see in a lot of 90s romantic comedies like 10 things i hate about you and um Dang it, I didn't write this movie down in my notes, but it's there's another movie that's just like that that has that same similar plot line, but that but what that character would be is actually the protagonist of that movie. So, yeah. Um, Are you talking about she's all that? Yes. Okay. I think yeah, I think that's it. There, will, there, sir. There will be no she's all that slander on this podcast. Let me just make that clear. I've been thinking about why I haven't come out yet. Maybe part of me wants to hold on to who I've always been. Just a little longer. No, there's a real, like, gross streak through uh, a lot of romantic comedy stuff, specifically in the 80s. I just feel like Revenge of the Nerds, we just kind of leave that in the past and burn it forever. Oh, God. Uh, and and I, I've, I've talked about this on, on some of the retrospective stuff with Matt Garingo. Uh, check out all those retrospectives, too. Um, but, like, the John Hughes train just missed me completely, so I don't have any, like, nostalgia for it or anything like that. So when I did finally start checking them out, I was like, these are just not for me. Uh, and and the, the gender politics and, like, how the the heroes, like, the, the men are, are in those movies, I'm not, uh, 
I'm not fond of. I'll just put it that way. I like. I get where you're coming from, but I still like Sixteen Candles. No, hey, I mean, like, I I love She's All That, and that movie's got problems, <laughs> and I completely admit that. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> but it's okay. I think it's okay to like things that are problematic. I think it becomes a problem when you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me just like my thing. Because especially if we're going to engage in these kind of spaces, we have to be willing to talk about those things, you know? Yeah. But there's also, I, I really don't think there's anything wrong with admiring something that's got issues as long as you're aware of them and don't shy away from them. Okay. You know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I get where everyone's coming from, from the John Hughes stuff. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, there, the Molly Ringwald stuff in 16 Candles still works for me. Like, all of that stuff, like, it's a, it's a little bit of a fantasy at the end, but still, that all works for me. Um. I mean, hey, I love, I, I wish more movies dealt with, like, fantasy stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, the heightened reality stuff, I mean. Right, so, yeah. So, do you want to get into the book versus film? (laughs) Oh, yeah. We should also... Um, 40 minutes into this recording, discuss the the basic synopsis of Love, Simon. <laughs> uh, would, you, would, would, you, would you like me to, or would you like to, to take it you away? You know what? I've been ta- I'm going to talk a lot uh, about the book and the movie for okay. a second, so go ahead. Okay. Love, Simon is about uh, a teenage boy named Simon who has a, a nice little home life, a nice little group of friends, and realizes he's gay. And is eventually starts communicating with someone else through the internet and um, discovers that he has a connection with someone else. And it's kind of a will they, won't they for the, the millennial age and, um, and, and the digital age. But he doesn't know who's on the other receiving end of, of, of these uh, digital messages. Uh, he gets blackmailed by a dickhead that we've gone over. Uh, he's the, the movie's... The A plot is him searching for Blue, the the receiving end of the messages. And the movie, because you're going to talk about the book right now, goes over like specific people who it might be, uh, some little red herrings here and there. Uh, it's, it's not like a full-on mystery plot, but it is the driving narrative of the film, I think, or at least the, the driving plot. I think the narrative is more about like Simon um, opening up or uh, hoping that people will accept him for who he is and realizing that the people who truly love him will always be accepting of who he is. And it's it's really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. The differences between the book and the film, the main ones are that the book, um, Simon has an older sister and a younger sister. His older sister, Allison, who she just went away to the University of Minnesota uh, to... I don't know what she studied. It's never implied what she's there to study, but she's there, she's home, and that kind of, you know, also starts, you know, the paranoia of change that, you know, is within Simon. Um, And that's kind of where the plot, that's kind of where, like, the theme, that's where, you know, that's that happens. And Allison is actually an important part of the book, but... But it's as important as, like, as important as it could be for someone who's on, you know, the other side of the country. Because this movie movie and book also takes place in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm still trying to pinpoint where exactly it is in Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> uh, because A, I don't live in Atlanta exclusively. I live like an hour away from it. Um, I'm, I'm almost confident that it's somewhere in the Northwest region of Atlanta. And then the other, ch- and then the ending is really different from the book. Oh, okay. What? Yeah, please tell me. Um, have are we okay with going full spoilers on movie and book? Yeah, no, go 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 all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this this whole show is like predicated on assuming that if you click on this, you've seen the movie we're talking about. Okay, so it is Bram at the end that is blue, but how they meet is different. So in the movie. Uh, Bram and Simon, Simon kind of, I don't, Simon kind of says, I'm going to be at this Ferris wheel. And if you are ready, you know, come meet me at the Ferris wheel and, you know, and, and you deserve to, you know, come out and be happy too. And of course, you know, when Simon does the Ferris wheel, he goes through all those excruciating turns and blue doesn't show up. And after Martin like gives like, some money to the guy to let him let Simon do one more ride. Bram does finally like come in and be like, Hey, it's me. You know, I'm blue. And then they have like one of the best like kissing scenes in all of cinematic history. I I, I actually literally believe that that's actually a pretty good, like crescendo kiss scene. I'm going to let you finish, but I have, I have a, a very positive thought on this ending and a point you brought up earlier that I actually never went back to. So Please continue. In the book, Blue never turns off his email account or never cancels his email account, like unlike the movie. They just kind of stop talking as much as they do after Simon is out. Not because Blue doesn't feel scared. It's just kind of a... They just kind of lose touch for a little while. Like, you know how you're in a relationship and sometimes you just lose touch. You need a break. That's what happens. And also, in the meantime, also while they're on their break, as I do, air quotes, Simon goes to a gay bar, gets drunk, goes home because he needs to pick up uh, the Smith shirts that Blue left. I know I'm sounding like this is, I know it sounds very convoluted, but I'm going like all over the place. (laughs) But anyway, Simon gets grounded for getting drunk at a gay bar. And that causes like two weeks of like, no talking, no no emails from Bram. So after he's like lifted out of his band from being on his computer and phone, he emails Blue like, "Hey, I really want to finally meet you. Please meet me at this, you know, carnival at the Perimeter Mall, which is also on the west side of Atlanta." Hint, hint. Why I think it's in Northwest Atlanta. And Simon goes with his friends to the Perimeter Mall to go to this carnival and it's not like until he's almost like ready to go and he has one more ride ticket and he rides the uh i think it's called a it's like it's a tilt a kilt or it's where you spin around it's one of those roller coasters okay okay yeah where you just spin around and he goes on it and that's where he meets blue which is bram and then there's like a whole like Two, three or four more chapters on their relationship as they build. Like, they go, like, after they meet, they skip, like, lunch in, like, half of their school period to go to, like, a grocery store and essentially essentially on a first date to go buy a bunch of Oreos, which is a thing in the book. It's a thing in the movie, and it's a thing in the book. And Oreos is very important to Simon and Blue. And then the book ends with after a talent show where it's revealed that Leah 
was actually, you know, in a band, in like this punk rock band with uh, Simon's younger sister um, and another person. You know, it's a review. After that, the talent show, uh, Allison, Simon's sister, sets up a situation where um, Simon's parents and his sisters are going to be gone to the varsity for like two hours. So Simon and blue will have the house to themselves. And the book ends with them like not losing their virginity, but coming extremely close. And it ends with Simon finally accepting and not only the change is good, but he wants that change now. Oh, okay. Well that, I mean, that sounds good too. I I really like the way the movie ended. Yeah. Uh, But I, I'm really interested in checking out the book now. Oh. But uh, you had a point earlier where, when you introduced the show, you said that this might be the flattest-looking movie I've <laughs> talked about on this show yet. I'm sure. I I disagree. Uh, you know what? No, I don't, it's not that I disagree. Just like, but it's not bad. I think in terms of like a movie and like visually communicating things, you know, it's like some standard coverage here and there, but. I think Greg Berlanti is actually a pretty good director in terms of, like, getting, like, the best performances out of his actors. And, like, there's a real sense of chemistry between this whole cast. Like, I feel like these people have known each other uh, for a while. Or maybe not not all of them, because, like, uh, like, like Leia, obviously, was the new kid on the block in in the story. But, like... Abby. I I get... get, Abby? Yes. Abby? Yeah, I'm I'm mixing that. My bad. But, like... um, the, the chemistry between everyone feels totally authentic. Uh, but even down to the look of the film, like, yeah, there's nothing, there's no like surreal imagery or anything. It's not exactly a David Lynch film, but uh, stuff like the finale on, on top of the Ferris wheel is, is done really well. Like the way everyone's kind of like, uh, like they're, it literally feels like they're in a crowd watching him, right? Like on the stands, like cheering him on and hoping that, that blue comes along. So when Bram comes along and reveals himself to be blue, uh, who is Kenyon Lionsdale, formerly of The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, really good actor. I, I wish him well on his success. He left those shows recently. Um, when he comes and they they finally you know are, are fully open and honest with one another and they kiss, the way it's framed with them on top of of the Ferris wheel, like how it's literally them, like nothing else matters. It's just them on top of the world right there. I thought that was really well shot and, like, a really great uh, visual interpretation of, like, expressing the character's emotions and something that you don't see very often, unfortunately, in movies like this. So I... Maybe it is the the flattest-looking movie, to your point, but I don't think that's... it's, it's, uh, It's any less good than some of the other stuff I've talked about on here. And... I'm uh, I'm very happy that I ch- I checked this movie out, and I'm I'm very happy that Greg Berlanti, for all of his like for his media empire that he now owns, had time to do this little <laughs> like ten million dollar movie about coming out. Yeah, and that's just I think that speaks volumes about him as a person. You know, like maybe he's like an asshole or whatever. I don't know him personally. Anything could happen, but um. I think that that's very impressive that that he had time to do this too, and that it's actually good. To uh, go back to your point, oh wait, I forgot you did review the Star Wars prequel, so I take my statement back. Oh no! For all their problems, they're not 
I t- yeah. They're, they're not poorly shot, kind of, sometimes. <laughs> Is it, though? Yeah. I, I take Those it. movies are, are are complicated. I That's why I did an entire retrospective on them. Yeah, I, I applaud you for it. And I don't hate the Star Wars prequels, Thank but I, I just remembered, oh, wait, you did do that. Yeah. I, you did. Oh, you did cover um Jaws, one, all the Jaws sequels, so okay. Okay. Jaws, Jaws 3 looks like shit, so. Okay. Sorry, sorry, Berlanti. I forgot. Diego's lot of, done a lot of shows, okay? <laughs> He's done... I, I've done too many. You've not done enough. I... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, so... Yeah, so going to the ending of the of Love, Simon, it's... And I will talk about, like, how it's such a great crescendo kissing, kissing. I wish this was, like, ESPN, like, playback. Like, we could, like, circle and analyze, like, how great it is. But... <laughs> the reason why it's so great is because it at that moment everything has been tied up. Everything with the parents has been tied up. Everything with the friends has been tied up. So, and this is a movie where it's kind of necessary to tie things up. Um you I think you to it, I think in that moment like it, everything was building to that moment and and on and I give Berlanti so much props because he really does build up those emails and really does build up like how, you know, these two characters who have only been emailing each other throughout an entire, um, like, I don't know, six, seven months have been building their connection and, and building like, you know, their relationship and, and they're so like intimately like ready to, you know, connect, especially Simon that he basically goes out on a whim and in a way that, you know, Martin, in a a very similar way that Martin does, but it's not like, it's not like we're canceling the national anthem just so I can have my moment. If you, um, it's, it's not like a dick move and he's going out on a limb and everything's been building. You feel that Simon is ready and you hope that blue is, on the same boat and then you and then uh when bram does show up they literally ascend they're literally like i i can't uh they're they're literally ascending to the to the top of the world to their like moment of like happiness and it's simon who has been totally afraid you know for most of the movie to come out and be in love himself and except the change that's happening within him, he's the one that kisses first. And 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 basically opens up Bram to, you know, his sexuality completely. And to his, like, and to, like, his, like, coming out, essentially. Uh, and to take it back to Jennifer Garner for just a little bit, in her, her wonderful scene talking to Simon, just her and her son, she and her son, um, and she says that it, it pains her to think that that Simon has to go through some of this alone and that she knows he does, but it, it pains her to think of that. And like, well, well, that is inherently also true. She, she doesn't get to see it, but Simon gets to, to act it where he is going through it alone, essentially. But by, but by being able to like rise above like all the shit that's thrown at him in this movie, 
he's able to encourage Blue to do the same, who is eventually revealed to be Brown, of course. And they get to go through it together. And that's... Oh, my God. That is... That's some good movie right there. It is. That's that's some good shit right there. And and to top it off, like most movies like that would end with that kiss, but then they cut to uh, like like a like a month later, I would think. I think it's like a month later. And you see like, you know, Simon, you know, it's spring, it's, you know, lively, it's warm, it's lively. And on top of that, like you see kind of the meta like wink wink that the movie thinks it's doing and actually accomplishes because the end of the movie is, you know, because Simon came out and because, you know, Simon and Bram's relationship was so open, it inspired people on the Tumblr to not just gossip, but also talk about their feelings and talk about like their like personal things that are personal to them um, and be more open about themselves. So, you know, Simon's, you know, open, Simon and Bram's openness was very positive, much like how the movie has had a very positive effect, you know, when it came out. And and then the movie, like, it subtly, I, I'm sure you probably caught it, Diego, but it subtly kept, ends in a nice little way of, like, this is like, like, everyone in the car, it's, it's like a diverse group of people. There's... You know, two gay people. One of them is, uh, one of them is uh, black and Jewish. The other is uh, a bi- is a biracial kid. The other is a, a black woman. And then you know you have a wh- and then you have a white woman all in this car, and they're going on their like Ferris Bueller days off adventure. Like that's a perfect encapsulation to one to one of the most inspiring movies I've ever seen. Uh, just it, it's a wonderful film. Uh, I thank you for bringing it on, and I, I thank you for sharing your stories with me too, and for the listeners on the other side of the the audio right now. Well, it's important. I think to me, the reason I did this is because I originally brought up I wanted to do cruising, uh, William Friedkin's cruising, because I wanted to talk about like the bad representation of LGBTQ cinema. Uh, because, I mean, if you want, and maybe we'll discuss it later, or maybe I'll do something later on it. Yeah, so I, I gotta have you back on again, yeah. of course. Um, I'll, but the thing about, but because of Bohemian Rhapsody's, like, holy, like, the response to Bohemian Rhapsody, I felt like, you know, let's talk about a good LGBTQ movie. Let's talk about somebody, a movie yeah. that actually got the representation right. Instead of a movie where the main character finds the love of his life by drunkenly groping him. Oh, God. Fuck that movie. Yeah. I don't want to think about that now. <laughs> Sorry. Instead, let, let, no, no, no. It's all right. Let's, let's just leave off on a more positive note, and you can let the people know where they can find you. Yes. So, listeners, you can find me on uh, iTunes and YouTube at KHC Productions, where I do a show for that for that channel called the youth critic podcast. It's again, where I review current release movies. And actually I do have the love Simon podcast that I did a year ago with uh, Matt St. Clair and our good buddy, uh, Mike, Mike Messina, uh, a year ago. So you have to go back a little bit, um, but you'll find it there. I'll send Diego links to all of my channel stuff. 
Um, but you can all. But if you really want to follow my Twitter views, um, thoughts on movies, politics, um, retweets of any any retweets of Diego's tweets, um, <laughs> you can follow me at Movie Kale, the show that I do at, at the Youth Critic, and then you can also follow the channel that distributes my podcast at KHZ Network. Diego, thank you so much. Thank you again, sincerely. For I almost knocked down my table. Thank you again, sincerely, for, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And for all of you out there, you can find me on Twitter.com at slash D-E-W-G-O Waffles. Check out the Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Patreon. Uh, like, subscribe if you like this. If you didn't like, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Announcing who you are to the world is pretty terrifying because... What if the world doesn't like you? P.S. It doesn't seem fair that only gay people have to come out. Why is straight the default? I have something I need to tell you. I like girls. You're trying to kill me? I like men. I'm straight. I'm heterosexual. Oh, God, help me, Jesus!